this episode of Music Life Radio, we feature the musical comedy of stand-up comedian and musician Phil Johnson. I recently saw Phil Johnson at a Oakland comedy club where he was headlining. His comedy blew me away, and his musicianship was quite remarkable. We invited Phil to come down to Music Live Radio Studios and be interviewed. Let's not waste any more time. Let's get right into a clip from Phil Johnson's stand-up comedy show. And here's Phil. So how many of you guys here... Oh, I'm going for the wrong guitar. How many of you guys here are like in like long-term relationships? Been in some. Yeah. All right. A few people I know should be raising their hand. Well, you know, when you're in a relationship for a long time, you start to be able to read the other person, you know? You know exactly what they're thinking just by looking in their eyes. And uh, guys, you know, some nights you get home and she gives you that special look. That's what this song's about. As I step through the door, I can see the look in her eyes. It's a look I see more and more. See, it nearly makes me cry. It doesn't take much reading To really know the meaning Of a look that says Of a look that says You're not gonna get any tonight I'm really mad at you Hell no, we ain't gonna screw And you're not gonna get any tonight Her lips said no Sorry, baby, I never meant you harm I said as I stepped up towards her To hold her in my arms I think she missed my meaning I knew I'd take the fall As she brought her eyes up towards mine And kicked me in the balls And said, gonna get it tonight Cause until you get a clue Done. I was hard at work all day Even carried groceries for a nun Helped a man with his toupee Bought us tickets to the ballet And a play in Monterey Took a trip to Comp USA Played out my car's ashtray Took my dose of vitamin K How long are we going with this? Uh, I had a fish fillet And a small glass of Cabernet Then I wrote out a long essay And a Mexican called me essay But much to my dismay She had a different day And I think I missed her meaning I knew there'd be some pleading for a point And she said to me about you last night (laughs) and you are in a hot tub with two blonde women with big boobies (laughs) and you liked it (laughs) 
dream it seems so real I could collab you like a baby seal And you're not gonna get any No love until summer, not even a hummer You're not gonna get any Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks for joining us today, Phil. One of the questions that I like to ask everybody is, what does music mean to you? Gosh, I don't know. I guess it's always been sort of a, um, sort of a fantasy world for me. You know, one that I fortunately get to live in, which, <laughs> which is a cool thing. But it's always been a little bit of escapism because it's always too perfect more perfect than real life even when it's talking about real life and it's gritty it's always an exaggeration of it you know and uh, so it's always been an escape for me even you know if i'm singing sad serious things or or happy goofy things or whatever so yeah escape and fantasy that's good yeah. i think that's a common theme among many people yeah <laughs> <laughs> listeners and musicians alike sure i think so what came first your comedy or the music Music, definitely. I uh, I started playing the flute when I was eight. Oh, wow. And uh, my mom said, hey, do you want to take music lessons at school? And I was like, oh, yeah, okay, why not, you know? And she said, uh, she said, girls like musicians. I said, sign me up. <laughs> at eight, you knew, you knew that already. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I was ready to go. I was I was an early starter. And, uh, and then she said, well, what instrument do you want to play? And I said, oh, I don't know. She said, well, if you play the flute, you'll always be the only boy in the section. I was like, sign me up. You know, and it was true all the way through college. I was the only flute player that was a guy in this, in the whole section, you know? Uh, and so, you know, I started out with the flute and, and then I played the piano, I guess when I was about, uh, 12 and then I picked up guitar at 16 and there was no looking back from that and, uh, ended up getting a degree in jazz and somehow fell into telling jokes for a living. <laughs> yeah, I saw that on your website. What school did you go to for music? Uh, I went to San Jose State. Okay. Um, I really didn't care that much for college. I, I never was a college person. I went and I went to my classes and went home. I was never the party guy, the frat guy, and all that kind of stuff. And yet I still spent 10 years in college somehow. <laughs> like John Belushi, maybe. In, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, my girlfriend beat me by one semester. She spent 10 and a half years in college. But I started out as a physics major because I was going to get a real degree, quote unquote. Yeah. And, uh, and I was about two semesters into that. And I realized I was absolutely insane uh, for even attempting such a thing, even though I was oh, science and math was always my thing. But I was lost. I was, a, you know, I was a kitten in a rainstorm, uh, you know, two, two semesters in. And I thought, you know, I'm playing music everywhere else. I was teaching music. I was already playing in a band. Every, every, my whole life was music. And then I go to school and do physics. And it was just didn't feel right, you know. <laughs> and so I had the talk with my parents who were paying for school, of course. And I said, look, I want to switch to a music major. And they were like, yeah, cool, do it. And uh, and now whenever I complain about not making enough money, they go, it's your decision. <laughs> they go, you, you did it. Have fun, you know. Um, but, I mean, they've always been real supportive of that. But, yeah, so I, I, music has been bred into me since early on. My dad was a singer. He was a folk singer in the 60s. And my mom played slack key guitar and things like that. So we've my brother and I would grew up around music. And it, it sort of seemed inevitable. And then comedy came later. Yeah. What were your uh, musical influences when you were growing up? 
or what influences were your parents exposing you to? They a lot of like uh, early rock and roll, fifties, sixties, Elvis, Beatles, that type of stuff. As well as my dad would spin folk music for us a lot, and a lot of classical music from both of them. And of course, you know, starting out playing the flute, classical music was sort of a given. And so it was a lot of that kind of stuff. And then when I became a teenager, I ended up turning them onto stuff. You know, my mom became a big Ozzy Osbourne fan. Really? Yeah. She was like, oh, I like this, you know. And my dad was into like, you know, Metallica and bands like that when I started listening to them. And so that was kind of cool. I got to flip it and turn it around and show them some stuff too. And uh, even to this day, you know, I'll turn them on to some stuff because my dad goes on the road with me a lot as my tour manager. Oh, nice. Yeah. And uh, and so I'll put something in and he's like, what is this? What are you listening to? You know, and I'll tell him what it is. He's like, this is really cool. Can you copy it for me? <laughs> so it's always been a give and take. But uh, yeah, my parents, um, they turned me on to a lot of stuff early on. And now I, you know, play Afro-Cuban music for them and they go, wow, this is neat. <laughs> so you have a wide uh, variety of musical influences in your oh in yeah your, i mean i can tell just from listening to your music the roadside attraction band yeah uh, lot combination of lots of different styles yeah that's in. it's always been a thing with me yeah. is i you know uh, especially once i got into college and i started really discovering jazz and blues and latin music and things like that i was like i i can use all this and i've found that the more you find out about music and the more you listen to music you find out it's all the same all the building blocks are the same and so you can put uh, you know, Dixieland jazz and gothic synth music together and make it work, you know, because it's all the same building blocks. Here's a little Phil Johnson with his band Roadside Attraction and a song called Hey Little Goth Girl. Hey Little Goth Girl, why you look so sad? Did your little brother rip up your lace? Silver spoon fall out your face. Hey Little Goth Girl, why you look so sad? Is that the only way out of this living hell? Why, evil princess, do you live in the dark? Did your trust fund run out? Crash your paper when you part. Hey, little goth girl, what's the problem now? Did black lipstick run run aloud? Satanic friends are so devout. Hey, little goth girl, what's the problem now? Maybe a little sun would help you. So yeah, I always enjoy mixing the styles in a lot, and I've got I've got one of those four hundred disc CD changers at home because I'm still stuck in the '90s and I have CDs. And <laughs> I, had one of the, I had one of those too. <laughs> yeah, it broke, so I had to convert there, to digital. There so. you go. There you go. I know you probably can't even buy them anymore. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, I give my neighbors the bends. You know, it's like okay, death metal, and then Hawaiian music, and then <laughs> Afro-Cuban stuff, and and African drumming, and then you know uh, the Beatles. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> When you were going to school, did you find a lot of parallels between music and science or music and math? Oh, yeah, there's plenty. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of uh, math and numbers and things like that in music, especially from a, comp- a, a composing standpoint, because um, you're always figuring out, how am I going to get this chord to that chord through some other chord in between and make it work, you know? And sometimes it's just a matter of, well, I think this sounds good and screw everybody else who can't explain it. Uh, and and you know sometimes you're you're going with the numbers and and the music starts to write itself at that point, but yeah there is a big part of it and I actually at one point considered studying acoustics as sort of a bridge between the two, and never got around to it. <laughs> Interesting, yeah. I was an electrical engineer in college and uh-huh. we did a lot of stuff with uh, antenna design, acoustics, and 
there was you know definitely some musical directions kind of in just mm-hmm. in, in the sciences in, in general which was, yeah. was interesting mm-hmm. more interesting than the math for me yeah <laughs> by far <laughs> yeah for me it was after i had uh, i failed calculus three again that was when i really decided to put a yeah, stop to that it. was brutal stuff yeah it's not fun <laughs> so comedy has always been a big part of your life too or did that sort of mm-hmm. i never really expected to be doing it um, but I'd grown up on it. I can remember watching uh, Bill Cosby himself on HBO and literally being on the floor laughing, unable to catch my breath, watching Bill Cosby do the dentist routine, you know. And so I'd always enjoyed comedy. And, uh, you know, my family would go on trips and we could all recite Robin Williams live at the Met word for word as it was playing the whole album, you know. So comedy was, you know, always in the house as well. Um Old school stuff, George Burns and Gracie Allen and, and uh, you know, the the real old early TV slash vaudeville stuff, you know, because my dad was into that. So I'd always liked comedy and understood comedy as from a fan perspective, but uh, never thought I'd be doing it, you know. Uh, and that completely happened as an accident, a happy accident. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, what's the story behind that? How did that happen? Well, I had, uh, I had a previous version of Roadside Attraction together. Uh, we'd been playing together for about six years and it was a smaller version. It was only a four piece, not the big monster eight piece band that it is now. Uh, and I eventually had to split ways with those guys. We just sort of grew apart and it wasn't happening anymore. And when, uh, I retained rights to the band's name at that point, because it was basically my group and, uh, I, I, uh, just sort of just all these ideas, musical ideas started coming out of my head. I was just telling somebody today that was the most prolific I've ever been. Because I wrote a whole album in about six months, and I've never been able to duplicate that since. <laughs> um, but a couple of those songs came out to be sort of these funny, goofy songs that I thought I would use as B-sides, you know, for singles or something like that. Just little extra weirdo things to put in. And I took uh, I took one of them to a music conference in Las Vegas that year. And we were having this late night jam by the pool where everybody was just, you know, trading songs back and forth. And I played this song called Whale Blubber that I had written. And everybody was like, dude, that is a hilarious song. You have to put it on your album. And I'm like, nah, it doesn't, nah, I'm not going to put it. Put it on your album. The next morning, they're like, we're still singing that stupid whale blubber song. Put it on your album. <laughs> so I put it on the album, and uh, and I had another, a uh, couple other funny songs that had just kind of popped out, just experimental kind of stuff. And, uh, and, and they stuck. People really liked them. And I know one, we won some like radio contest with another one of them called Two of Me. Um, which has a lot of screaming and things. And it's about a, it's about a homicidal schizophrenic maniac in love. And, uh, (laughs) and so that one won us a, you know, a contest prize. So people got into the humor aspect of it and I was kind of going, okay, well, what can I do with that? And I had three songs and then somebody turned me on to a, um, a one-off comedy music show in San Francisco. And by that time I had been doing some solo performances away from the band already in coffee shops and things like that, but doing, doing mostly straight music mm. and somebody said hey you should go do this comedy music show and see what happens so i went up and i did this one show and it went well and the lady who was hosting that night uh let's see she was 72 at the time her name's lynn ruth miller <laughs> and she's she's still a comic she actually just made the finals of the san francisco comedy competition um and uh, so lynn ruth saw me that night and said you have to come play with me i need a guitar player 
in part of my act to do this. And she, she used to do like this striptease thing. Okay. 72 years old <laughs> and doing a striptease in a comedy club <laughs> and, and, you know, throwing bras at the audience. I mean, it was really out there kind of stuff, but it was fun. And so I started going around to comedy places with her playing in her act and people, you know, caught wind that I had a couple of funny songs myself. So they started giving me sets and I was like, okay, I'll perform anywhere. I don't care. And, uh, and eventually it was, well, nobody wants to follow the guy with the guitar. So all of a sudden I was headlining local showcases and I had no business doing that because I only had these three songs. I had no idea how to do stand up comedy. I was just a total accident that I was there. I was just taking the stage that was offered to me. Yeah. And, uh, and then it sort of started rolling from there and I had to learn how to do stand up and write some more songs and, <laughs> you know, go from there. What was the stand up process like? I mean, how did you get to that part? Uh, I, uh, I kind of had noodled with it in my shows before because, uh, I mean, that was kind of the other thing that brought me into it when I was explaining the songs to the audience, introducing them to the audience before I would play at the shows, I, I can never help myself from cracking a joke that comes into my head. And, and in fact, that's a rule in my band that if something occurs to you, say it in the mic. You know, because <laughs> like my bass player actually got kicked out of a band for doing that. He made some comment on stage, some goofy joke about the band itself. And they were like, dude, that wasn't cool. You have to go. <laughs> and I was like, okay, it's the opposite rule here. I said, if you don't crack jokes on stage, I'm firing you. You know, I think that is an actually a very good asset for any band. It is. What's worse than sitting around waiting for somebody to be tuning their guitar and everybody's standing around. Staring at their shoes, I've right. you know, often found, and yeah. dead silence, and you lose the uh, audience pretty quick that way. Yeah, well, I mean, you never want to have dead dead air. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the worst thing in any show. But we always, I mean, my band, when we rehearse, we have the greatest time. We always get a lot of work done, but we crack each other up constantly, because all the guys in my band have awesome senses of humor. Um and and it's funny when we'd bring a new guy in, he'd be kind of like, "This is really a weird rehearsal because you guys don't appear to be doing anything, and yet <laughs> you get so much work done." You know, because yeah. we would just joke constantly, and all the guys have a very similar sense of humor that I do, mm-hmm. and uh, and so we just brought that out onto the stage. We thought we're having so much fun here; the audience would probably enjoy this too, and uh, and so you know everybody gets a mic. My drummer's got a mic. My bass player's got a mic. And uh, the bass player and I tend to work off each other really well. He's sort of my comic foil. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and he's got a great sense of humor. So he and I go back and forth, but the drummer will chime in. The horn section guys will chime in, you know. And, and that's completely cool to do with me. I'm not out there to, to be the star of the show, even though it's my band and I'm fronting it. Um, I, I think the audience likes to hear from the other guys, you know, as when they've got something funny to say. So I think it works really well. That's great. So that was sort of the beginning of it, um, where I had these funny introductions to the songs, but I didn't really have any clue about how to actually do stand-up comedy. I kind of understood it, like I said, from a fan point, because I'd watched it for so many years. I had my favorite comics, and I had comedy records at home, so I kind of learned some of it by osmosis, and that got me started. But after that, it was really critically watching other comedians to see what they were doing getting things like judy carter's comedy bible which just today i was flipping through again as i was writing and yeah i mean so stuff like that really helps because you got there are rules and there's structures and there's there's basics that you have to know because it's it's a science and an art just like music is and uh, and so you got to learn the science before you can really get to the art so i started with that kind of stuff and i sucked just like everybody else does when they start um and some nights i still suck you know, <laughs> it really is probably quite a lot of skill 
to it. I mean, developing your skill and, and uh, it is not just so much natural talent. I'm sure that plays into it. Some of it's natural talent. I've seen guys that come up real quick, um, and I've seen guys that suck for six months and then disappear for two months and come back like gangbusters. Yeah, there's a guy in San Jose, actually Fremont, named Sammy Obeyed, and Sammy was he was likable at first. And then I didn't see him for a couple of months, and he came back and was just hilarious. Hmm. Um, and he's still great. He's one of my favorite comics in the area. You know, he's really, really funny. Um, he changed up his act completely, you know, and things like that. So it's a lot of it is just being on stage a lot, learning how to, uh, learning the fine-tuning of the timing of a joke. Hmm. Um, because if you, if you blow the timing by a half a second, you're going to lose your laugh. You know, you're not going to get the response that you that you wanted from it. I did a joke the other night that usually gets an applause break, and I blew it just a tiny bit, and it got nothing. <laughs> you know, so I mean, there's there's those kinds of skills, and the only way you learn that is by being on stage all the time and a lot, and just you know, learning how to pull that reaction out of a room full of people. Practice, practice, just like being in a band and playing yeah. clubs. I think it's the same type of thing. Yeah, and, but the interesting thing is, I mean, you can practice music in your studio by yourself. Yeah. And get really good at it. Your performance may not be that hot, but musically you'll be on top of it. And you can't do that with comedy. You know, I can I can't stand in my living room and rehearse comedy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, you don't get the feedback. You don't get the, the feedback, and right. that's really the thing is that you're always gauging off of that feedback, that split second timing of what's happening in the feedback. Mm-hmm. And you can always tell when a comedian gets a longer laugh than they were expecting because they'll start talking too soon and they'll cut themselves off to let the laugh finish and then they'll start the joke again. Mm-hmm. You know, because in our heads, we know exactly how long each laugh is supposed to be. Uh, what is your schedule like right now and when do you plan on teaming back up with uh, Roadside Attraction? That's a good question. I have to call them. I think, I think my percussionist may have moved and I didn't know it. <laughs> I haven't seen my band in like a year because <laughs> I've been too busy doing comedy. I was going to say, it seems like you've been doing a lot of uh, stand-up and solo performance yeah. work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> yeah, because it's, it's been about a year. And they all play in other bands. You know, my, my trumpet player is in a jazz quartet, and mm-hmm. um, my drummer plays in uh, a couple different tribute bands. My bass player plays with a Latin group. And, you know, so they're all plenty busy. But, uh, yeah, we've been I've been thinking about, you know, doing something with them again. It's just... Uh, it's such an undertaking to even do one show with a band that big because we've got to schedule rehearsal time, find a place to rehearse. I got to rent a studio. We got to, you know, schedule around eight different schedules uh, to get everybody in there to to get the music back in shape to where it should be, and then get a venue. And it's always got to be a bigger venue, you know. Whereas with a comedy show, I can if somebody calls me today and goes, "Hey, can you do a set tonight?" I can go, "Yep, sure, I'll be there." And and it's just it's it's easier, you know, but I do miss the full band experience a lot. So I've been thinking about doing something with those guys again. But that's really why we did the full band DVD. So we could at least have that when people go, dude, I want to hear your band. I go, good, give me $20. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, when I was looking at your website, it, it had a list of the clubs that you had played at and stuff. And uh-huh. I had noticed a lot of those were the same, you know, types of clubs my bands have played at Roosters and yeah, Store oh, yeah. Club. And so. When you were approaching those clubs, was this in a solo act or was this with Roadside Attraction? Um, with places like Rooster's Roadhouse and, and Store Club and places like that, that was a band thing. Mm-hmm. Although I think I've I've played both of them as a solo act. Um, I'm pretty sure. I know Rooster's Roadhouse I have because I, I open for metal bands there every so often. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've, we've done we've done both of those as a full band as well. 
I was interested to see if you were booking any of those joints as a solo act doing kind of a musical comedy. I haven't lately. No. Usually when I do a music venue, I'm going in with some other bands, you know, who and I, I will open the show and kind of MC the thing and, and things like that, and that tends to work very well. Um, but uh, other than that, I comedy venues tend to have a little bit more of a built-in audience because the interesting thing is that people go, let's go see comedy. They don't care who's on stage. Let's go see comedy. Mm-hmm. But with music, nobody goes, let's go see music. You know? That's <laughs> true. <laughs> you know, they go, let's go see this band. And yeah. so in a, in a music venue, the bands individually are much more responsible for bringing in an audience. And I do do things like that. My variety show is this weekend where, you know, it's, it's up to us to draw it. Um, but with comedy venues, they tend to have a little more built-in audience. A little bit. Not as much as they used to, but it's not the 80s, you know? Yeah, <laughs> it's not the comedy heyday when, you know, there was a comedy club every five blocks. But, yeah, it's it's a little easier. I mean, that's why I can go on the road and go play in Montana and Idaho and, and Pennsylvania and all these places where nobody knows who I am. And there's still a full house when I get on stage. Because people just like to go see comedy. Yeah. Yeah, that works out. Some of your influences, uh, Stephen Lynch. I'm not that familiar with him, but I checked out some of his stuff, and one, uh-huh. of, one of his songs was really funny. It was about what if that guy from Smashing Pumpkins lost his car keys? I love that I one. That. Was awesome. I love that one because he can. It's, yeah, because it's funny because Lynch is not far away from sounding like Billy Corgan. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what if that guy from Smashing Pumpkins lost his car keys? Here we go. Yeah, it's cool. I, I like Steven. And, and truthfully, I didn't discover him until after I started doing this stuff. People were like, hey, you sound like Stephen Lynch. I'm like, who's that? You know, But he's an interesting guy because he comes from the same place where he likes to be a musician first and, and then make it funny, which I always do too. The music's got to be a really solid song, and then I go in and make it funny. And, and I like that about him as opposed to... A lot of the comedy music guys that you hear that are just like rinky dinky rinky dinky dinky dinky, dinky you know, and everything sounds like you know a bad rehash of English Music Hall, yeah. um, you know, some and it's just hokey, you know. So I like to have really strong music and then put the to the funny lyrics to it, and that's what Lynch does. And he's just a sick bastard; <laughs> he really is, you know. <laughs> and uh, and I and I like that about him. I like. I wish I could get away with some of the stuff that he gets away with. I noticed that you were on uh, Strings of Comedy. Was yep. that a tour? Or? It is, yeah, yeah. yeah. I actually co-produced the tour. Oh, very cool. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's myself and a partner in L.A., uh-huh. Chris Valenti, and we, we co-produced the tour. We mostly are taking it to... We've been uh, doing it in Hollywood for the last year and a half or so, a couple of venues down there, and uh, and then taking it to colleges and military bases and things like that. And uh, we're, we're going to the uh, Monterey Presidio to, to do a string show there in November. And so it's really fun because we get to go look at and find other people that do this kind of stuff. And the trick is, like I said, a lot of them are really bad. Um, 
even the one, even a lot of ones that are that are working regularly don't appeal to us because oh. musically they're not up to snuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they can't sing, they can't play guitar, but they wrote some funny lyrics and they know three chords. <laughs> you know that kind of thing. that's not the type of stuff I we'd like folk, to do. Uh, comedy musicians, or <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's I mean they're the ones that really give guitar comics quote unquote a bad yeah. name. And, yeah, and uh, you know because everybody always goes, they'll see me. Oh, you're a guitar comic, and I'm oh, going to no. wait, listen first. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. And so we really try to find the people that musically have some serious chops and a sick sense of humor, like we do, where <laughs> they want to meld the two. And uh, so we've got guys like Oded Gross, um, who is. He's one. Of, he's hilarious. He's one of my favorites. He's got this song called "Red Sock in the Laundry," uh-huh. and I thought, "What the heck is this?" And uh, his video is on YouTube. You should see it. Well, it turns out, "Red Sock." He, I put. A, I accidentally left a red sock in the laundry, and now my KKK sheets are all pink. <laughs> <laughs> That's just the first two lines, yeah. right? And the whole song goes into how he's he's trying to join the KKK, but he can't, and he doesn't have the right sheets. His are fitted. And, uh, you know, and his, his duet partner in the song is this black guy who's also trying to get into the KKK. It's so, it's hilarious. And, yeah. you know, it's, that's the kind of irreverent humor uh-huh. that I like. And so Oded does that. And we got a guy named Eric Schwartz. We have two Eric Schwartzes, actually. Um, and so we find these really very talented musical people who have a sense of humor. And we've put together this tour and it's going really well. Ah, uh, excellent. Yeah. Yeah, I was just looking at some of uh, your music, and I found that Brown Ring Around the Collar. I love that song. uh, (laughs) Pure genius. Maybe it's just the the, uh, (laughs) stupid guy part of me that I I couldn't stop laughing. Are you stuck in an endless fecal feedback loop? Is that the the right lyric? That's the right (laughs) lyric. And I have to admit, I cannot take credit for that particular line. Um, My bass player, Ray Uribes, he, uh, he brought... Basically, that whole chorus into me. Yeah. And he said, hey, I wrote this goofy chorus, <laughs> and can we do something with it? And I was uh-huh. like, dude, this is awesome. We are so writing a song around this. And it turned into this you know, big, overblown, <laughs> Afro-Cuban, Latin thing. Um, and uh, yeah, so uh, Ray actually wrote that line. I thought, it was, I thought it was really funny. And he wrote that chorus. And then the first verse, uh, the guy in the car bumping his stereo so loud that he's actually wearing earplugs that came from my drummer that was a true story he's like here's a guy that's got to go into the song you know that's awesome <laughs> yeah so is there a lot of collaboration on uh, songs in, in roadside attraction then? there is to a certain extent mm-hmm. i mean i write by myself most of the time okay. um just like i said i haven't i haven't seen them in quite a while because uh, we've all been so busy with other projects um but when we get together yeah i do love to collaborate with them because stuff comes up that you know, like I've never seen a guy in a car with earplugs, but cool. If you have, we're putting him in a song. That's great. You know, yeah. and uh, and so stuff like that is is always cool. You know, and I encourage my guys to bring stuff in and and uh, and we work with it. But I'm the main songwriter, but I do collaborate. the The one song that we all really had an equal sort of part in was uh, our Christmas single called "What Santa Wants." Okay, and uh, I don't I don't even have that on the website. I don't think I should put that. Out. It comes out like every November for the Christmas season. Um, but it's a song about uh, drugs, firearms, prostitutes, alcohol, and Santa Claus, and uh, it's <laughs> it's it's what Santa really wants instead of cookies and milk. And nice. <laughs> yeah, it's a fun song. It's yeah. it's really fun. I wish I could play it more often. It got us banned from uh, Christmas in the Park in San Jose. <laughs> We're not allowed to play that anymore. <laughs> well, it's probably worth it though. It has absolutely. <laughs> 
I also was checking out your blog and was pretty interested in one of your recent posts that talked about, I guess it was a band that was doing this song called Pizza Hut Taco Bell. Oh, that, yeah. And it went on for four or five minutes and there really was nothing new. And then, right. <laughs> yeah. And, and I started thinking about uh, that movie, Idiocracy. I don't know uh-huh. if, you've ever, if you've ever seen that. That's uh, the guy that did Beavis and Butthead, Mike Judge. Mm, yeah. It was a horrible movie. But it was really about the dumbing down of America. Yeah. And people watching shows like, ow, my balls, where, you know, some yeah. guy just got kept hit, getting hit in the balls right. over and over. Oh, I mean, do you find that there's a lot more of that out there now? What, I, what's I happening finding, to our culture? Is there is this a, a persistent problem, do you think? I Yeah, I think, I think it is sort of a dumbing down. Um, and, like, somebody had shown me that song. They're like, this is hilarious. And I'm like, this is lame. You know, okay, I'm going to Carl's Jr. Green Burrito. I'm going to Carl's Jr. Green Burrito. I'm going to Carl's... How many times do you want me to say it over a hip-hop beat? It's not... It's going to get less funny each time. Um, And I watched it, and I just didn't... I mean, I could see where they were, um, you know, riffing on hip-hop stereotypes and things like that. And from what I understand, that's a big part of what that duo does, is kind of um, playing on those hip-hop stereotypes while still being really good at it. And I can I can respect that. I just wish they'd do more something more with it than repeat. And there was like, you know, this one commentary about it that said, oh, they're making this deep commentary about consumerism. I'm like, no. <laughs> they're not making commentary about anything. They're repeating one line over and over again, you know. And it's the same thing, like the biggest selling comedy group on iTunes right now is The Lonely Island, uh, which... Uh, I haven't watched Saturday Night Live in ages, but apparently they're part of the Saturday Night Live crew. And so that obviously gives them a big jump. But they've got this song called I'm on a Boat. And it's set to a hip-hop beat. And it's I'm on a boat. I'm on a boat. I'm on a boat. And I'm like... (laughs) Okay, it's you're on a boat. Great. Apparently the same thing as the uh, Pizza Hut song. <laughs> yeah, it's really the same idea. And I understand that it's a satire, but I always look at it like if I were to put that in front of an audience, a live audience, would they laugh? Would they react the way I want them to? Or is it just all the video? Because the video's got a T-Pain in it, you know, making a guest appearance, and they got Justin Timberlake on another song and things like that. So if you take away the video... And the guest appearance, does it still hold up as a piece of art, as a piece of music, as a as a joke, as anything, you know? And and those don't. No, not at all. You know, if you were just listening to it, you'd go, okay, that was boring after the first 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so I always try to make everything solid artistically on every level. The music's got to be good, then the comedy's got to be good, and if there's a video for it, the video's going to be gravy, and it's going to be good, too. But it's not going to be dependent on that. So I think there is a dumbing down, which is sad. Um, and like the other thing I mentioned in that blog piece was uh, like epic movie, which is, you know, scary movie and, mm. you know, teen movie and things like that. And some of those are good. Like I like the scary movie films. Uh, but my girlfriend and I rented epic movie and it was just one pop culture reference after another with no joke. But no jokes. <laughs> you know, it was just like it was like getting on stage and going Facebook and expecting the audience to laugh. And it was so bad. I mean, we got the movie for free and I wanted my money back. You know, <laughs> yeah. it was. And so, yeah, there's some dumbing down in it and it makes me sad. But uh, I don't know. I don't know what to do about it except keep making better art than that. <laughs> exactly. I, well, I'm very impressed with your songs. And we were at your comedy show just uh-huh. a few weeks ago and yeah. just blown away. It was great. 
time. Well, you brought your guitar. Why don't we uh, set you up and uh, okay. play a couple songs? Yeah, so. for sure. All right. well, actually, one of my favorites right now, I guess, is uh, is uh, well, uh, the thing about um, you know bars always get really interesting in about five minutes before closing because I play bars all over the country and they're all the same, except they don't all close at two. I found out. <laughs> I, w- I was somewhere. And I was like, bars always get really interesting at about one fifty-five, and they're like, our bars close at midnight. I was like, oh, okay. They get really interesting at one fifty-five. Um, but there's a, always that that last guy who hasn't found a date yet, and that last girl who's sitting at the bar, and he's always, you know, or she's she's like a four or five, and, and he's aiming way too high, and uh, and he's loaded, and she's loaded, and you know they're gonna hook up and and regret it in the morning, or maybe not. They'll probably get married, and <laughs> so. I thought that guy needed a song, you know, sort of a theme song for him. So this is uh, this is his song. I saw a lady by the bar, didn't look half bad. She only had one eye, baby, that's my bag. I never know what I'm going to get. I might get lucky and get a hair lip. Yeah, her hair is held up with a roach clip. Damn, that's classy. I like them five and below. Get them drunk and they're good to go well, Back in my place it's time to show What a two can do for you I spot a little hottie with her leg in a cast I think I got a chance cause she can't run that fast What do you know she's drunk too She might not even wake up before I'm through A little snoring won't keep me from what I do Oh hell yeah I like them five and below like a 50 cent stripper show I'll do you then quid pro quo Was that word too big for you? Well, let me show you what a two What a two can do for you Ooh, Ooh baby that moo moo's hot you get your turn if you play my flop I don't care if you're covered in spots The bartender wants to go home I like him five and below I like a girl who does the hammer throw A hairy back makes my hammer grow Just as long as she ain't a dude Let me show you what a two What a two can do for you Nice, very well <laughs> I remember you played that one at the show we were at I did, yeah, it's one of my <laughs> current favorites And I get to indulge my little hick country side of me and <laughs> playing that one. <laughs> there, there's another one that you do that's about playing just to the bartender and the sound guy. Oh, yeah. Dead, it's called... Uh, Dead City Support Club. Yeah. Yeah. You do a little bit of that one? Sure, yeah. All right. That one actually came from... Uh, it's a real story, the whole song, actually. Uh, I had a gig on July 5th one year. Not a big party day, July 5th. And... Uh, <laughs> And it was a uh, no. last minute, like, this this band called me up and they said, we had this gig booked and we wanted to cancel it, but the, the club is insisting that we go do this show. Do you want to come open it? And I was like, yeah, okay, I'll come up and open it. It was in San Francisco. There had been no promotion for it. Like, it was like a Tuesday night or something like that. And so there was nobody there. They had two bartenders, a guy at the door, and the sound man who was like, you know, setting up like this was going to be Aerosmith at Shoreline Arena. And there was there was no audience. There was nobody. But the interesting thing was that we all had a really good time. Anyway, we did our thing, and the bartenders were clapping, and, and the sound guys, you know, the sound guy was really into it. And, uh, you know, 
And so we all had a good time anyway. And so it was our little dead city support club. You know, there was nothing going on, but we had a good time anyway. So that's what the song (laughs) is about. I arrived on an average Tuesday night for another meeting of the Dead City Support Club. The sound man was gearing up for a fight, even though there was no audience in sight. It was just another night for the Dead City Support Club. The band played its heart out on every song. The bartenders clapped as they sang along Dead City Support Club ignored the gloom As the sound bounced off the empty room Everybody was just there for the love Dead City Support Club At 10.05 a crazy girl walked in Drunk or high, we could not begin to tell She danced like she was watching the dead And not the Dead City Support Club The band played its heart out on every song The bartenders clapped as they sang along Dead City Support Club ignored the gloom As the sound bounced off the empty room Everybody was just there for the love Dead City Support Club As the hands of time ticked away, I heard the weird girl say that she was feeling down, but we brought her back up. We looked at each other and smiled, decided it was all worthwhile to find a little bit of life left after all. The band played its heart out on every song The bartenders clapped as they sang along Dead City Support Club ignored the gloom As the sound bounced off the empty room Everybody was just there for the love Dead City Support Club Very nice. Thank you. I like that song. I don't get to do it very it's often. A, it's a cool song, and it's just the bands I played in. I remember playing the day after a Super Bowl party. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. What a mistake. Yeah. Or a Mother's Day. Uh, what were we yeah. thinking? <laughs> some nights, I just, there's some weeks, there's weeks now I don't even book gigs. Yeah, Like exactly. the week, week of Thanksgiving, you won't yep. catch me on stage yeah, anywhere. It's exactly. just not worth it. <laughs> but yeah, that whole song is true. We did have the one girl that walked in about five minutes after 10. And danced like she was at a Grateful Dead concert. And we all went, cool, at least somebody's entertained. <laughs> you know? <laughs> exactly. Maybe uh, one more. How about the, sure. the geek one? The geek song. Yeah. Okay. And this is really a song for me because, you know, I, I uh, embody most of what's in that tune. And I thought, you know, there's, there's this thing that women are always trying to look good, find the right guy. And, all, and geeks really aren't that picky. They're going to go for somebody at their level. <laughs> you know, they're not concerned if you're a 10. They're just concerned if you're a woman. That's all. I went and did an interview at a gaming convention once. I'm not really a gamer. I mean, I played Dungeons and Dragons in high school and that kind of thing. Uh, but I went to this gaming convention and it was like nerd central. And I was like, wow, <laughs> this is this is too hardcore for me even, you know. Um, and it was but it was cool. I was like, these are people who are really passionate about this stuff. And I can and I like that. I like people's passions because, and I especially like people who can laugh at those same passions, you know, uh, people who are really passionate about something and can't laugh at it, I don't get along with them so well, you know, and I have made jokes in shows and gotten myself in trouble. 
Um, (laughs) (laughs) But people like that who are into gaming and Star Wars and Disney, I mean, they can they can laugh at that kind of stuff because they know it's that escapism, you know, and and that's them being able to laugh at themselves, which is really the most important thing. I think you should be able to laugh at the most important things in your life. Uh, because if you can't, you're taking life way too seriously. Exactly. You know, and and so that's kind of where that really came from. Is that I I wanted to write something for that audience where they could identify with it and and giggle at themselves a little bit, and uh, and because I know lots of these people, you know, and <laughs> <laughs> but I mean I was just at the the Disney convention, the Disney Expo, and I was like, oh my people, you know, I've <laughs> I've found my tribe. And, <laughs> And, uh, and, you know, so I've, it's, it's interesting to find people who are that into something. Um, and I've always known, I mean, like with the, I'm a, I'm a huge Disney dork and I had never hung out with those people before. And I found out like we got along really well and people like that will talk to other people who you wouldn't talk to on the street. You know, it's almost like being at a casino, which the same thing happens at a blackjack table um, where, you know, the, the 70 year old woman will talk to a guy who looks like me. And not thinking anything of it because we're both sitting at the table losing money. And the same thing happened at the Disney convention, which was really odd. Uh, I was sitting in a, in a music panel about um, songs that didn't make the Disney films, you know, and they were performing them and it was really cool. And this older couple sits down next to me and they look like they're probably about their mid-60s. It's just sitting next to them. And they, boom, they started talking to me. They're like, hey, have you heard about this? No, 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 no. We got along great. And I actually saw them. Uh, two weeks ago at the the Walt Disney Museum in San Francisco, they're oh, like, wow. "Hey, you know." <laughs> so we're like buddies now. Oh, that's funny. So I, I think I think passions like that bring disparate people together who wouldn't normally end up in that kind of situation talking to each other. And I think that's just the coolest thing about some of these sort of dork passions. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know. So anyway, that's kind of where the song comes from. And uh, but as ostensibly, it's a uh, it's an instructional piece about how women can pick up dorks. <laughs> You don't have to be anorexic like a teenage pop star And it's totally cool if you've got some scars If you want to be sure that you'll wed Play the Imperial March when he comes to bed He'll be the world's most faithful suitor When he sees the tattoo of Captain Kirk on your hooters With a geek by your side Even if your butt is wide You can roll with pride through the Ren Fair. With the geek, you'll be fine. You can look like Frankenstein. He will not decline. You're the answer to his prayer. If you dress like slave girl, Princess Leia, there's a really good chance that he'll want to lay you on a king-size bed with Harry Potter sheets. Call him Lord Vader when he skeets, skeets, skeets. Always tell him that he's your guitar hero, you'll be his final fantasy. With a geek, you'll be glad, cause baldness ain't that bad. Sigourney Weaver looked totally rad An alien with no hair With a geek you'll be on track Even with your hairy back He'll supply you with what you lack A lifetime supply of nair 
geeks don't care. He's a five, you're a five. Together you're a ten. Some hot geek love is set to begin. Yeah, with the geek feel be hot. It's just a little jungle rot. Just flash him a little coin slot. He'll forget it's there. With the geek feel life is good. If you're breathing, he'll get wood. Lepers are misunderstood. You're just a crusty teddy bear. Very nice. There it Very is. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's my favorite. <laughs> I played that song for six months at home before I ever put yeah. it on a stage because I couldn't sing it. <laughs> and I still have trouble singing it. But I always tend to write things that I can't play or sing yet. And it takes me, you know, a, full, a few months at home rehearsing it before I'll even put it on stage. And then I always screwed up the first time anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, like I said, I'm a big Disney dork. And the thing is that, I mean, Disneyland is very expensive to go to, so it's an expensive hobby. And the song is about all the secret ways that they make money off of people at Disneyland that the general public doesn't really see. They're just kind of sucked in by yeah, it, you know? Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, and because I'm a stockholder in the company, and so I, I was at the, you know, they actually had the, uh, the annual stockholders meeting here in Oakland this year. It was at the Paramount Theater. Oh, wow. And so I went to that, and, and I read up on all the business news and, and keep in touch with what's going on with the company. So I thought I should, you know, let some of this out to the public about what's really going on. <laughs> I took an early plane at 7.45 I drove up to the gate of that gleaming Mickey's eye Gave the parking guy my wallet And he sucked that puppy dry Guess I'll hit the ATM inside of the happiest place on earth Where any discount that they offer Is just a little joke And you have to buy a And you have to get a bank loan For a churro and a coke Mickey's got a strong pimp hand At Disneyland I strolled on through the gate Of that wondrous magic place And I was met by a mouse up in my face and I know his name is Mickey, but his palms are a little sticky. Now my wallet's gone without a trace. Goddamn rat. At the happiest place on earth. Where all the birds look like they're talking and plastic flowers bloom. Cause Goofy's selling roofies inside the tiki room. Mickey's got a strong pimp hand at Disneyland. All I wanted was a t-shirt. Why, oh, why does my butt hurt? Minnie Mouse is a big flirt. Just put the money on the dresser. And if you can't pay your way in, be aware of Mickey's hitmen. There's seven of the little kin. Don't be grumpy, bashful, sleepy, sneezy, dock and trigger happy. It took me so long to learn that part. I just like get dumpy, gropey, and sleazy in there somewhere. I stepped onto a boat to hear the children sing It's a small world, is such a sweet refrain Then I saw something that had me quite confused A bunch of them were making tennis shoes At the happiest place on earth 
Until you lose all of your money Playing cards with Donald Duck And for just a little honey Winnie the Pooh will get you a good uh, time Mickey's got a strong grip hand At Disneyland Mickey's got a strong grip hand At Disneyland Don't end up in a shallow grave By a murderous little dwarf at Disneyland <laughs> and that is my ode to the happiest place on earth. <laughs> I haven't been there in a while, but yeah, it does cost a lot. Oh, it does, it does. I haven't been in a while yet, but I am taking a tour of the studio in November, which I'm very excited about. How do you get something like that? You have to be a D23 member, uh-huh. which is their Disney Dork Club, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, which I'm a charter member of the Disney Dork Club, and uh, and then they actually had. Um, Free tickets, but there was only 50 of them available because mm. uh, they never give studio tours. And uh, and so there was 50 available. So I was there, you know, at two seconds after 10 a.m. to click and get my uh, get my oh. tickets the second time they've done it. So I'm really excited to go. And I'm taking my girlfriend with me, and she could give a rat's ass about Disney. And, then, <laughs> and, and I'm like, we're going to take a tour of the studio. And she's like, yippee. You know? <laughs> and I'm like, you're going. Deal with it. <laughs> Does she follow you on the road, or is she pretty busy in a career herself? Not really. She doesn't like to travel that much. Mm-hmm. She'll go with me once in a while. Like, I just picked up a gig in, in uh, Sonora today for, for November, and she's like, oh, maybe I'll go on that one with you, because, you know, it's like a Thursday night. It's not too bad. So once in a while, she'll go if she's going somewhere that sounds interesting. But most of the time, I'm going places that don't sound interesting to anybody. I'm like, hey, honey, you want to go to Idaho Falls? She's like, no, can't say as I do. No. <laughs> Because comedians are weird. If if a, a comedian friend of ours is, you know, going, oh, I'm going to gig in North Dakota, we're like, wow, I'd like to go gig in North Dakota. You know, it's like nobody wants to go to North Dakota except for comedians. You know, <laughs> anywhere there's an audience, we will go. It's exactly. ridiculous. I was in North Dakota in February. You don't go there oh. unless you have a bad addiction to something. <laughs> you know, and uh, so yeah, that's where I was. Well, thanks a lot for coming by. Thank and, you. Uh, this was fun. Fun. Thanks again to Phil Johnson for stopping by and playing some live songs for us. You can check out more about Phil Johnson and Roadside Attraction at his website, roadsideattraction.com. You can check out his DVDs, his CDs, plenty of music samples, links to Facebook, MySpace. He even has a blog that's very funny. You'll also be able to check out where he's playing next. We're going to leave you with another Phil Johnson and Roadside Attraction song entitled Aphrodisiac. You've been listening to Music Life Radio. I'm your host, Dan Sauter. Thanks for checking us out. Let's see some asses shaking out there. Ain't no one seen a brother like the brother that we've seen His Africa's shadow is as big as his meat, see? The girls lined up to say, take me poppy Every coochie left happy and a little bit sloppy Super duper fly for a super spy Foils every attempt to make the world cry By his arch nemesis, victim of a nasty cut This poor little bastard we call left nut Aphrodisiac is the top spy for the secret government agency Known as the Bureau of Official Tits and Yonis or Ute it is his responsibility to protect the women of the world from nefarious criminals such as Left Nut and their pathetic schemes to hoard the world's supply of poontang. 